Hello and welcome to another episode of Technical Roundup. Today we've got something very special in store. We're joined by the CEO of Sino Global Capital, Matthew Graham, known to us affectionately, affectionately as Matty Graham on Twitter. And Sino Global Capital is a Beijing-based cryptocurrency investment firm. And we'll be speaking about China, VCs, Solana, and all other exciting and relevant topics. Matthew, thank you again for making the time to join me. I hope you're well. Sure thing. Thanks for having me and thanks for that great intro. Awesome. Yeah, glad I didn't butcher any names or pronunciations <laughs> yet. Yet. I won't speak too soon. So I'm, I don't know how much crypto content you consume in terms of podcasts, articles, whatever. I, I certainly try to do a fair bit. And there's always the uh, introduction, you know, how did you get into crypto and, you know, that normal discussion. And as I said on Ledger's show yesterday, I, to be completely frank, mm -hmm. I can't think of a single time where I listened to someone's story and thought, wow, I'm really glad they, you know, I, I sat through that before they got to the substantive <laughs> questions. So I hope you don't mind. We've got a kind of a roundabout way of asking that question. We go straight to the substance. So my nope, first question like is that. awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So my first question is, uh, you know, we, we interview a large range of people. So researchers, short term traders, investors, builders. Uh, and one question that really helps to break, break the mold and give us and our audience a sense of perspective is the following. Uh, what do you look at when you wake up? Right. So crypto very much a 24 seven job. We do find time for sleep from time to time. And then when you wake up and you want to get a get a sense of what you've missed, where everything's at, what are some key metrics, data points, or rituals uh, that you partake in? First thing I do when I'm having my morning coffee is I read Matt Levine's column that, that landed overnight. He's got not only the, the best TradFi roundup, but increasingly has fantastic crypto content. Bloomberg's Matt Levine. So the first thing I do is I, I, read, I read that, one inhaling my coffee and and then i i guess uh i i just uh catch up on messages and and things like that but that's the the, the one thing one information content that i consume first thing in the morning there you go an immediate that, alpha by leak. far the best roundup for both tradfi and and i would say even increasingly crypto as well awesome in so terms of just getting up to speed on the overnight you heard it first, Matt Levine's column, sign up and read the same thing as Matthew Graham every morning. IQ boost of 10 points minimum guaranteed by the sounds of things. Um, do you you look you'll at, learn more on. from reading Matt Levine's column over the course of a, a year, just reading it every day. I, I really think you'll learn more practical knowledge than you would in an, in an entire MBA curriculum. But also it's very suitable for uh, experienced practitioners as well because it's very timely content. That's awesome. Um, do you look at any prices or telegram feeds or is it just a dive into messages straight after that? So uh, I think that probably varies, but I, I would say that uh, in general, I'm, uh, I, I take a longer term view of things. Um, I don't do a lot of even swing trading. Um, so, I, I'm not constantly checking the market like like some people probably are. Um, I'm interested in big long-term moves, uh, and and that's our focus both in the, the secondary and primary market, and has been since forever. 
there you go. If you're if you're if you call yourself an investor and you're stuck stuck refreshing the trading view app every five seconds, yeah, you might need to might need to reconsider. Awesome. Very much I, agree. I, I think the vast majority of people who, who are doing that are are not being productive by doing that. There's a, a small percentage of people for whom it makes a lot of sense. Um, but it's a, a very, very small amount of people. And uh, related to that, I do have a, a, a thesis, <clears throat> which I can't back up in any kind of academic sense. I couldn't like write a, a dissertation on it, but I do have a thesis that the market is extremely efficient at very short and very long time intervals, but it's much more difficult for uh, medium intervals, call it. So if you start talking about microseconds, um, um, uh, I, I, I should say I should say this. I should say it's it's uh, that in in my view the uh, most productive sources of alpha are long term and extremely short term. Let me rephrase and say that. So if you if you start uh, looking at microsecond intervals, which are suitable for a very specific subset of mostly high frequency traders. There's a tremendous amount of alpha there. And if you start looking at extremely, I would say long time horizons, uh, a year or two or more even, then there's a lot of alpha there. But it becomes very, very difficult for uh, medium term intervals. I think the hardest way to make money is, you know, if you're doing two to three week trades, thinking like th things like that. I think really you're subjecting yourself to enormous uh, forces of, of luck. I think that's a very reasonable position. And you mentioned, although it may not be like an empirical thesis, I think most people's crypto experience bears that out to some extent, right? If you yeah. take a cursory view of people who've made it, whatever that means, yeah. they either have a very fine understanding of market microstructure, or they've just right. been around long enough to yeah. survive and learn. I, I think yeah. th there is plenty yeah. of support for your for your argument. And then you have to make a decision about what plays to your strengths. And for me, for sure, uh, um, long-term venture, especially venture-style investments, pay, plays to my personal strengths. Absolutely. And I look forward to speaking about um, crypto VC at, at, with to some degree of detail, especially given, I think, you know, reputationally, if, if you're a casual crypto Twitter participant, VC is a bit of a swear word in certain circles um, by the, you know, by virtue That's, of the yeah, actions. I, of I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even push back against that, frankly. I think it's, it's quite understandable. I think it's very understandable. Uh, in crypto, I think that the, the VC model has, has major issues. Uh, because people are acting, they're, they're saying that they're a VC, but really they're just shitting on retail. So uh, it's is rampant. So I, I think it's quite understandable that there's a lot of um, unhappiness with crypto VCs. That's I'm a very good extremely point. Sympath extremely sympathetic to that, frankly. I'd like to open the floor because um, China is a big topic I'd like to discuss. Yeah. Given it's been the catalyst of, you know, such a big market move and the epicenter of so much right. volatility. But at the same time, you know, the VC discussion is also in my notes, so to speak. Where do you want to start? Why don't we open up the floor a little bit? Up to, up, up to you. Okay, great. Let's let's do Go China first, given it's, you know, more pertinent yeah. to the higher time frame stuff that we discussed moments ago. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to take it back to Sino Global Capital, actually. Uh, and I guess mm -hmm. the first question is why choose China 
as your base of operations. And I guess this kind of follow-up question or implicit in that question is, does the mm -hmm. current crackdown reduce the value proposition of being a kind of Eastern-facing firm or kind of bridge between East and West? So the, the first part of that question is pretty easy, actually, at a high level. The, uh, what attracted me to the China market uh, is really quite similar to what attracted me to crypto. It's about being at the center of dynamic change uh, and believing that uh, if you're in the change engine, that there are enormous business opportunities uh, that, that surround that almost inevitably. So really, it was the, the same uh, desire to keep learning to be in, in, in a dynamic environment that attracted me to both China and crypto. Um, and then to your second question, I'm not convinced that um, I, I think it, it's still a, a question mark, but I, I, overall, China is still a very enormous market. It's gone through um, through boom and bust cycles with respect to crypto, as there have been various crackdowns and let-ups. Um, it tends to be a crackdown, and then there's this let-up that occurs slowly over time, has been kind of a historical pattern. But overall, I, I believe that it will be, will continue to be um, an enormous market for crypto in the future. Um, is, is kind of my basic thesis. Yes, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, as a kind of, I suppose, a logical follow-up to that, uh, certainly for listeners um, who listen to this shortly after release, they'll be familiar with China FUD, as it's come to be known. Um, yeah. And just to give a kind of high-level overview of what's going on, there, there seems to have been a kind of multi-layered and multi-wave effort to crack down, quote-unquote, on crypto. And that kind of started with access to exchanges and then cracking down on more speculative products like derivatives, futures, and so on and so forth. Uh, mining was a big one as well. And we saw that in Bitcoin's hash rate and difficulty adjustment. Do you feel, and, and you know, the common adage in the market is, you know, China bans Bitcoin. As you mentioned, there are these inherent boom and bust cycles where there's a crackdown, let up, crackdown, let up. Mm -hmm. Do you give any merit to the argument that this time and these crackdowns are kind of consequentially different to previous years? Is there good evidence to, to support uh, such a notion? I would say, that's a good question. I would say that um, in, it, you, could, you could argue that it's comparable to the 2017 crackdown. It's definitely one of the more serious crackdowns. I would agree with that. There are two aspects to the um, recent China events, and the first is mining, where the more industrial scale mining is uh, basically no longer okay. So that has sped up in a um, uh, so that has accelerated the 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 process which was already underway, which uh, of China mining capacity. Uh, moving to the West. You can still mine on kind of a, a smaller scale, personal scale is still basically fine, but the, the real industrial scale mining is no longer fine. Uh, then the second aspect, uh, and, and it could be a whole discussion about whether or not that is related to um, green goals. With respect to mining, um, 
it's uh, in, in, it's accelerated the process that was already occurring of mining capacity going overseas, and it and it's still you know home or personal small scale mining is still uh, basically okay, but industrial scale mining is not. And then you can argue about is that related to environmentally sustainable considerations, or is that or is it related to the fact that uh, potentially mining can be an end around for capital controls. Uh, you, you can argue about uh, what the actual underlying reason is, but frankly, it's, it's ultimately hard to, hard to say, and it, it's probably a combination of these things. And then the second aspect is related to trading uh, specifically. So again, it's important to be clear that this isn't about, like, is Bitcoin legal or not? It is legal, right? So what 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 is the, the the sensitive area first and foremost is fiat on and off ramp has always been sensitive and it's being controlled at an even stricter level now. Uh, so OTC fiat on and off ramp sensitive, and then uh, the second thing is trading, and with the trading, it's important to understand that as part of kind of a larger scope. So. Uh, basically, the Chinese government at a high level is extremely concerned with financial stability and ex specifically excessive retail speculation. Uh, so they're cracking down on all types of speculation. Uh, and as a subset of that, that includes crypto speculation. So basically, they, they don't want people going crazy with high leverage and uh, and things like that, and we're seeing that um, we're seeing that implemented on the at on, on the China centric exchanges, right? So basically, those are the the two things that are occurring. Um, and so, in in many ways, uh, with respect to the latter, I, I would suggest that it's really quite understandable because uh, you do have a lot of these crypto schemes that pop up overnight and can metastasize into enormous problems with tens of thousands of participants even. And it's not like they're building something real. It's just some shit coin that has Ponzi-like characteristics. <laughs> and inevitably, it's going to collapse. And when it collapses, there are going to be a lot of pissed off retail investors. And these things get really big in China really fast. And they happen constantly, and it, it, I, I can I'm, I'm sympathetic to the fact that it's an enormous problem for, uh, for financial stability. Um, if I were a regulator, I, I would crack down on this kind of thing. Um, and um, so, even even like uh, overseas, they had they had Doge and then Shiba and all these bubbles and things like that. But even in China, they had you know. They had this uh, loser coin, is what it was called, oh my God. which became enormously popular overnight, started by someone in third or fourth tier city, um, trying to tap into this, it's called this Diosu culture, but basically, you know, loser culture, basically, um, this counterculture of people that um, are frustrated by the, the 24 seemingly 24 7 grind combined with um the fact that it that it 
is a little, it is clearly harder for, for, for recent graduates to, to advance than in previous generations. So there's this kind of, um, counterculture of fed up youth and they were kind of tapping into that and making a loser coin and it got really big actually like it became quite enormous and so that's just one example these things happen all the time and sometimes they're good and well-intentioned and usually they're not but either way they almost inevitably collapse and it's a big problem and and so they've got that in mind plus also you know it's probably not healthy to have people going nuts on a hundred X leverage. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that's healthy. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That, that's not I don't, a controversial position. I didn't think for most people. <laughs> right. So like, I mean, if I were a U.S. regulator or a regulator anywhere and I were posed the problem of, uh, should retail investors be able to have a hundred X leverage on crypto i would be like are you fucking kidding me of course not i would definitely not allow that if i were making this decision yeah <laughs> so i'm pretty sympathetic to to some of these narrowly tailored arguments sure um, that's a pretty comprehensive kind yeah, of overview but, as to the scope and also yeah. very grateful that you outlined some of the reasoning yeah. with specific examples yeah. um when it comes there's broader context too though mm -hmm. right like for example um the 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 um the the ECNY the um the the national blockchain it's not really blockchain it's more of a distributed ledger but the DSAP now called ECNY uh digital currency is coming out so there's broader context too of why they wouldn't be too excited about competing stable coins right there's a lot of a lot of things going on uh, and you have to keep these things in context, but that's, that's, that's a high level overview, I guess. No, I'm very grateful for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I guess looking to the future in terms of playing the crackdown cards, uh, what do you think is left is, would it be reasonable to argue that the kind of worst of it is likely behind us in terms of more drastic measures, uh, given, you know, you mentioned Bitcoin is legal. I'm sure it's recognized as property, etc. So ownership crackdowns seem to me to be quite unlikely or very much on the extreme end. So as a result, given the impact on mining, retail speculation, fiat on ramps, it's quite comprehensive. Do you think most of the quote unquote FUD or measures, um, we've seen the worst of it? So I would say it like this. Number one is that um, you can never really rule out extreme actions in China the way you could in the United States where there's more room for balancing forces to have a give and take of discussion and, you know, and, and as part of the process. So you, you can never really rule out that something extreme isn't going to happen, is the first thing. Number two is that it's enormously difficult to predict Chinese policy decisions in advance um, because it's not like in the U.S. where there's going to be some leakage of information and things like that. It's really quite strictly controlled even for Chinese in terms of information. Um, so it, it's, it's much harder to get a feel for where things are going is the second point that I would make. And then, so to kind of wrap that up, then I would say that you, you have to view it as a spectrum 
of possible policy policy decisions that uh, could be taken, and then you try to put probabilities on each of those, keeping in mind what few things we can kind of confirm about what the the Chinese imperatives are. So, for example, again, as I as I just mentioned, we know that they're super interested in promoting the CNY. That's a, a factual thing that we're that we're sure about. We know that they are always extremely focused on uh, fiat on an off-ramp, as I mentioned, uh, anything related to the currency control regime. It's not a free-floating currency, right? So anything related to maintaining the integrity of the currency control regime is always going to be uh, super important. Obviously, anything related to tax evasion and money laundering, that's any government really, but it's, it's worth mentioning. So, and then, and then they're always worried about excessive speculation, but it seems like that very clearly uh, they're, they're, um, they're, they're placing much more emphasis on that uh, than before. Before it was extremely important to them, but now it's, it's even more important. It's a top level uh, priority for the Chinese. I mean, it's the, it's the vice premier that's, um, that's, uh, uh, personally involved in some of the recent, in, in some aspects of the recent crackdown, right? So it's, it's the very top level there. Now that's not specific to crypto. It's again, they're just retail investor un unrest in general, right? But includes crypto. Crypto is a small aspect of that bigger picture. But at any rate, we can, you, you have to kind of start with some of these more or less factual understandings, and then you, you can place a probability across uh, uh, various uh, possible policy choices, and you have to kind of take that approach. Um, and you, you have to understand that um, the potential policy choices could be more extreme because there are less balancing forces in China. And, uh, and, and you kind of have to approach it like that, I think. Yeah, that's a, that's a very helpful uh, framework, I think, to employ um, for this specific market and also the time we're in now. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to kind of bring it back to Sino Global Capital, though. Uh, sure. how, is this, how has this affected your operations, if at all, and then maybe an insight into what sentiment is like, both among retail and the communities that you help foster for your, um, the projects that you support, but also between uh, professionals. So I would say that the, the short answer at a high level is that the impact on Sino has been quite minimal. Um, and um, so uh, for, for probably a variety of reasons, and then in terms of, uh, you, you also asked about retail. How is retail, China retail looking at these events? I, I think China retail has been, uh, in, in, initially they were very panicky really, um, but that's in some ways just the nature of retail. Retail, the reason they're retail is they get too excited and then they get too scared, right? Kind of, right? Uh, and um, so, now they're they're more calmed down um but but initially yeah they were very panicked people were talking all kinds of nonsense like in in china specifically like that we could see you know sub sub ten thousand bitcoin again things like that just people were just panicking talking all kinds of nonsense 
That's, yeah, that's, that's a. It, it's funny how you know retail. Is, right, retail yeah. is retail all across the world, no matter where you are. Right, that, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a reassuring thing yeah. to know. Um, basically, but additionally, so sure, exactly, but also uh, the one thing is that China retail uh, probably does not have as much visibility on how Western institutional is still buying and so because they don't have as much visibility just naturally as a matter of course they probably don't have as much visibility about the fact that um um you know goldman is setting up a trading desk and jump is getting heavily involved and a16z just raised 2.2 billion usd for crypto i mean they they see some of these facts but it it's not really as accessible to them and probably feels less real. So I think, um, so then what, what they do have access to that feels real is what's going on here in China and, and just talking to each other and making each other increasingly scared, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that information asymmetry has always been fascinating to, yeah, to observe, yeah. especially from the West. And it, it, it it's always interesting, like some things will definitely uh, will definitely cross from east to west or west to east. There are certain specific things that, that for one reason or another people latch onto. For example, grayscale, as soon as it happens in the west, whatever it is, it happens here in China. They follow that anything with grayscale like a hawk. Not totally sure why, but that's super super uh there's no information asymmetry from west to east on that one someone at grayscale then, needs a raise it sounds like <laughs> but then uh, but then other stuff you know will just not happen at all it'll never get here yeah uh, that's, so that's it's always it feels like first of all the information asymmetry in general is extraordinary but it's it's uneven it is a fascinating topic and, and obviously it goes both ways it goes far more east it goes far more west not knowing about east than east not knowing about west by far yeah that that's definitely how it feels a lot of the time and yeah. you know we're grateful for people like you to communicate ideas clearly as opposed to relying on yeah. you know there are a few i don't want to call them fud merchants but maybe kind of questionable sources uh, in the west or those who position to the west as yeah. authorities on eastern news so it's always nice to yeah. hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. <laughs> if we zoom out a little bit, and I, take I tend a, to. I, I would phrase it like this: I, I think there are some people who have uh, called Chinese fud uh, twenty-nine out of the last three times. If you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like Peter Schiff kind of crash predictions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they the the fudders were uh, uh, right. In, in, in some sense this time around, but again, it's a case of uh, calling it 29 times and being right <laughs> yeah. two or three. <laughs> Bro many, many broken clocks to be passed around. That, yeah, that much yeah, is clear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if we look at this news kind of cohesively and the developments out of China from a sort of zoomed out perspective, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, do you give any credence to the argument that this is like medium to longer term bullish, particularly as a product of A, the kind of regulatory clarity that may come out of it, uh, B, the crackdown on 
financial instruments which most people lose money on like the very speculative speculative stuff on high leverage and see the fact that mining and hash rate decentralization is a, as a kind of byproduct of this crackdown and i'm sure as you've experienced one of the easiest low-hanging fruit counter arguments to allocating towards mm -hmm. bitcoin was the centralization of mining and how the you know energy footprint and carbon footprint of many of the miners in china wasn't that good uh, and now we're seeing hash rate almost kind of travel from east to west yeah. or just out of the east uh, do you feel that that's all of those things put together make a kind of rosier bullish case for bitcoin than it had previously in, in terms of narrative i would very cautiously say that some of the mining stuff could be medium and long term uh helpful I'm not sure I would go so far as to say bullish, but I, I would very cautiously say that it could play out in a favorable way uh, due to the fact that people always did have a, a concern about Bitcoin hash rate in China. Um, the Sichuan mining was largely hydropower. Um, in, in the short term, I, I would have to defer to, to mining experts on this, but in the short term, you would, you would kind of have to show me that mining is actually becoming greener because of all the hydropower hash rate that uh, that disappeared from Sichuan. Um, but again, you, we, we'd have to consult with a, a mining expert on that. But uh, but but the point I'm trying to make is that uh, I, I would, especially about the Bitcoin hash rate being so China centric. From a narrative perspective, I would kind of cautiously say that it could play out in a favorable way. Awesome. I think we, we've given our audience plenty to chew on on China, and I'm, I'm grateful for your expertise as ever. Um, I yeah. do want to move towards the VC side of things, yeah. which I think is very interesting, and a topic which doesn't get a fair shake um, when it comes to the public, if you will. So if we sort of start with first mm. principles, uh, what does a VC do for a project? And then, of course, more specifically, what does Sino Global Capital do uh, maybe differently or what other firms don't? I think if we start from first principles and then make it more pertinent to what we're seeing nowadays, it'll be a really helpful way to discuss the subject. Sure. So what a VC should do is uh, capital allocation is, is only a very small part of that um, and, and, and the large part of that is being able to support portfolio companies in a variety of, of ways as they grow and mature. And then the specific uh, type of support can vary from VC to VC. Different VCs have different kinds of core competencies, but that's what a VC should do. Uh, I think in, in China, uh, excuse me, I, I meant to say in crypto, um, that is um, a lot less mature. There are a lot of so-called VCs that, that just consistently dump after three months and there's all kind of bullshit that happens. So I, I think that's why I'm always extremely sympathetic to uh, crypto pushback against VCs. Even in TradFire, the, the VC model I would characterize as the least bad of, uh, of in, in some situations, the least bad way of supporting entrepreneurs for TradFire. But in, in crypto, I, I think it, it's 
it, it needs maturity. Yeah, I think a lot of people will share that share that conclusion. Yeah. I, I want to point towards kind of your specific process, maybe get some insights sure. there. Uh, how do you decide to invest in a project, right? Is there a strict process or system? And if so, maybe how long does it take? Or what does the timeline sure. look like from A to investing, if you will? Sure. So at a top level, we have some theses that we buy into, for example, um, with regards to any kind of financial market, our, our general thesis is that it will tend towards increasing uh, complexity and abstraction over time, which sounds kind of academic and esoteric, but that's exactly what we've seen in terms of, uh, you know, BitMEX, from, from BitMEX on, it's just been it's just been increasing complexity and variety of financial products in crypto. So that's an example of a high level thesis that we have. But then I would say, uh, although we have these, these high level theses, we're mostly bottom up, which means we, we, um, we look to find teams that we are super comfortable with that we can uh, uh, trust and, and, and want to support for the long term because our investments typically are multi-year in nature. And, uh, and, and so we start with finding people that are fucking awesome, that are, are talented and have a distinct differentiated vision uh, that we want to hang out with for fucking years. And we look for the, these very special types of people like Sam and, and Anatoly and, um, and then the way that, that we uh, add our value is not really money. I mean, yeah, we cut checks, uh, typically 500000 to $2 million, but we can definitely go bigger than that. But that's not really my job, in my view. My job is to support our portfolio companies in China, which is our very unique value with market localization, market research, things like that. Uh, and then it could be a uh, an HR hat because it's very very difficult for uh, for portfolio companies to find a China GM, for example. So we help with that. And then uh, and then sadly, uh, heads are marketing, PR, and communications efforts for our portfolio companies. So we help with with that as well. So those are just some examples. Basically, our 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 view or our goal is to. Um, provide across-the-board services for whatever our portfolio companies need in Greater China, uh, and that's that's what we view as our actual job. And we spend uh, we, our, our goal is to spend at least half our time doing that. Awesome, that that's very helpful and obviously unique yeah. as expected. Uh, I wanted to get yeah. a sense of kind of time. I, I read on your website that you have an ape fund. Uh, with, which which is a kind of faster moving aggressive deployment, uh, but how quickly or how slowly can things uh, move? So the ape fund is a is a separate beast, but uh, obviously there are enormous uh, opportunities in in uh, in having a degen approach, and even though we're most ways more traditional investors. Um, 
Uh, we do have an internal DGEN fund. We don't discuss the specific positions in that fund publicly. Uh, we can talk more about the fund. We just never talk about the positions publicly. Very simple reason, which is that um, these are short-term positions and we would never want people like following us into these more dangerous positions and when when we, we when we ourselves may sell at any moment things like that but but basically we do have an internal degen fund which is managed by this brilliant american kid who's uh 22 but he's been in crypto already five years and he's just an absolute absolute stud and he manages that for us um that's separate from most of what we do yeah Awesome. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And I think having yeah. that diversity um, in, in kind of deployment speeds is, is definitely an advantage. You mentioned a lot of your theses are kind of multi-year and you want to stick around and see stuff get actually built, uh, which is obviously refreshing. Um, but then I think it naturally leads to the question, do you have any criteria or indicators which kind of tell you whether you're investing when the market's hot or cold or kind of bull bear, whichever language you want to use? And if so, how does that affect your approach, if at all? Because obviously, you know, when the public eye is on crypto and there's a hot ball of money, um, e easier to raise money, tickets are bigger and, you know, there there's a lot of uh, freedom. And then, of course, if the market's general outlook isn't as positive, it may be a bit trickier for, for teams to raise in crypto do you, do you have that perspective or because does the multi-year um scope of your investments kind of mitigate those concerns to some extent uh so i i think that the best way to uh, answer that is to say that we try to be counter cyclical so basically we want to be more aggressive than anyone else when in a in a bear market and in a raging bull market we we tend to um be be far more cautious um we we want to keep kind of a steady even keel across market cycles um and and i think you know it it's um i i think it it's easy to to get a feel for when things are a little frothy what what you don't know is when if things are going to get frothier as a next step or less frothy as a next step because these things can continue for a long time bubbles can continue for a long time uh so that can be very difficult but what we we try to do is adjust our level of aggressiveness to be counter cyclical the extent to which the market is frothy is the extent to which I'm increasingly cautious and the extent to which everyone in crypto seems to be depressed and crying is the extent to which I tend to get more aggressive. <laughs> I think that advice could apply and would help so many people, both, you know, personal investors, traders. I think that's a very good, good perspective to have. Yeah. Um, I want to... Yeah, that's the Warren Buffett quote too, right? Right. Uh, something about when there's blood in the streets, you should be buying. Yes, Only yes. he said it much more eloquently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if you believe crypto is going to stick around and isn't dying, then the depression yeah, is so an advantage. Yeah, so that's the thing too. My basic thesis at the very highest level, which I believe in very firmly, is that this is the biggest tech revolution in, you know, in decades. This is the biggest, this is like... Uh, 
90s internet in the United States. This is fucking enormous. This is bigger than social networks. You have to go back to actually like the fucking internet. So I start from that standpoint that this is a generational opportunity. Awesome. I think that, you know, especially at times like these, it doesn't hurt to uh, remember that when it's difficult as opposed to relying on it when it's easy. Um, I want to... Have you seen yes. Graduate, the movie The Graduate, very famous? I can't say I have. And, well, it's a very famous movie with Dustin Hoffman, and, and there's a scene where he... So this is from the 70s, right? So there's a scene where he's given the, the kid career advice, and he says, I, I just got one word for you. And so it's the 70s, so he said, plastics. So that sounds kind of ridiculous in 2021. But if they remade The Graduate, I mean, what, what else could that word possibly be? I, I don't know. It will have to be crypto, no? I like the argument. Yeah, I think it would have to be crypto. Um, so if let's get to the meat of the VC topic, which I'm sure a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, would love to hear sure. about. So just for me to make the, the base case to some extent is that a lot of retail or regular participants don't have good impressions of the term VC. And for many of them, uh, th they weren't involved in traditional finance VC or any type of yeah. any other type. So it's just crypto VC is all they know, right? And so mm. as a result, uh, they associate it with kind of dumping tokens, using centralized yeah. exchange listings for exit liquidity, dumping on retail, yeah. these lockups being no longer locked up, uh, crypto Twitter, chart influencers, shilling projects while dumping, and all these other kind of negative connotations uh, that, that yeah. have VCs as their kind of at their epicenter. Do you think this is like an accurate slash justified view? Uh, and I suppose the second part of that question is, do crypto I mean, VCs say, have an yes image problem? No, yes. Right. So it's not you the case of a few bad apples? I, I think it's mostly accurate. I think it's an enormous problem. Yeah, okay. I mean, I was kind of expecting you to, to, to uh, given your previous tweets, to decide with that <laughs> to some extent. Um, why do you think yeah. that is? Uh, you know, the, the third point I had is whether it's like a systemic or a few bad apples, or maybe it's like market cycle contingent that we only pay attention to these things when, when prices are down. But if, if you accept the, the base premise that there's just a lot of, I guess, predatory behavior, um, do you have any I kind of breakdown systemic. to offer? Well, why is that or where does it come from? Um, so, so first of all, I, I do think it's systemic. And secondly, where and why, or, 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 or uh, where does it come from and, and why is it such a big problem? I, I think that's more complicated. It's definitely a variety of factors. Um, I, I think one is that, um, many, uh, Crypto VCs are crypto centric. Crypto taught, or they 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 became a VC out of making a lot of money in crypto, which is different than TradFi VC, which is an apprentice model. So you learn the norms and expectations and then eventually go out on your own as opposed to you're rich and then you just kind of figure it out. <laughs> that seems pretty different immediately, right? Um, so, um, and, and so that's, a, I do think that's a factor. 
Um, I think a lot of it probably comes down to just incentives. The fact that there's, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> the fact that there's so much money to be made, you know, people get tempted. Um, and then I, I think, um, I, I think time horizon, yeah, so related to that, I think time horizon has a lot to do with it. Uh, we like to think that we're playing a very long game. And so my basic theory, my basic way of looking at this is that we are passing up a lot of short-term ways to make money that will, so, so even if we, let, let's put, so first of all, I think it's shitty behavior, but let's put that aside and let's just talk about money. Sure. Um, so in the short term, my view is I'm missing out on a lot of large amounts of money. However, in my view, by playing this long game, we will become increasingly attractive to increasingly good projects over time. And I do believe that I will make more money in the long term by playing this long game. It will just be more back-ended. Um, the danger is if you, the game that most people play are playing, in my view, the danger there is that if you get a reputation for dumping on your, your portfolio companies and dumping on retail, then you start going the other way. The best projects won't want to hang out with you. They won't want to take your money, frankly. And that means you get increasingly shitty projects. And as the projects get increasingly shitty, then the pressure on you to get the fuck out real quickly and dump on retail or just get out somehow is, is, is more and more. Uh, so you get kind of trapped in a downward spiral. I want to be in an upward spiral where we, we get increasingly uh, good traction with the very best projects in the world, which certainly we're already there with some of them. I mean, for God's sake, Solana is the best fucking, you can't come up with a better, you can come up with, you, just, you can't do better than that, frankly. And FTX. Uh, so we're, we're already, you know, kind of there, but I want to be consistently there. And the way to do that is by supporting your portfolio companies and not being an asshole and using all these short-term bullshit, uh, uh, doing all these short-term bullshit money grabs. So I'm, I'm playing a long game. It, it's, it's also because I think the, the other way is shitty and it sucks and it's bullshit. But, but I also think I will make more money doing this. Yeah, I agree. Short-termism seems to be the thing. It's like, okay, I've yeah. identified an alt season or a bull market and I have to squeeze it for all it's worth because I'm terrified there yeah. may not be a next one and I'm going to, you know, it's a race to the bottom as you described it. Well, yeah, and partly the fact that I do have the view that this is a generation, generational technology uh, helps with that because I'm I'm not in a rush. This is, this is going to be enormous, much bigger than we're thinking right now. You know, this is still like fucking, this is like uh, the internet in the U.S. in like 97. So like, Am I forget offhand, but like, let's say Amazon just founded yes. or thereabouts, right? Google is a couple years down the line. 
Facebook won't be for another almost, you know, 10 years, give or take or whatever. Uh, uh, you know, this is fucking early. Really? Yeah. So this is a, a generational opportunity and we're still early. So I think it makes sense to play this long game. There you go. Any, any VCs who aren't acting with propriety, you know, Matthew is going to make more money than you in the long run. And he's also not <laughs> a piece of shit in the short term. I suppose that's a, an apt, an apt summary. It does beg the question though. You know, if you, if you agree that there are systemic problems with crypto VC and for the number of reasons, which you uh, outlined, what are some maybe fixes or maybe things we can do as a community to, to address it? Is it a matter of teams picking better ways to raise capital? Do the VCs and the community need to self-police to some extent? Um, are there any, not band-aid fixes per se, but pretty low-hanging fruit on things we can do uh, to avoid seeing what we've seen over the past couple of months? That's a good question. Um, I kind of like the, these people that go on, like, you'll, you'll see... I don't remember. I, I mean, I don't know these people, but I'll just see every once in a while someone will just, uh, in, like, kind of like investigate something that happened and do a whole tweet thread with evidence. I fucking love that. I, in fact, usually when I see them, I private message them. I'll give you an example of a private message I said sent recently, if I can find it real quick. Sure. But anyway, I usually, I usually say, I fucking love what you're doing, and I, I hope you, you kill them. <laughs> So, so public kind of scrutiny and accountability, you see, is oh, an effective I mean, I, and mechanism. I'd be happy to say that publicly, too. I mean, this is a public podcast. Yeah, yeah. I love it when these guys... I want that to happen because I think it's bullshit. That makes sense, yeah. So one of the remedies we yeah. have available is to not keep it under wraps, is, is the argument. Yeah, I think I think there, there should be more... I, I hope that there will be more people that... Um, that work on that that further transparency in that way just like with uh you know it, but it, it applies to projects also like whatever the hell is going on over at icp so i can't really i mean i haven't investigated myself so i can only go by what i've seen other people saying and i i have not had the time to you know personally vet the evidence and and things like that but it looks fucking horrible so it goes for all kinds of actors in the space, right? Basically across the board. Um, and and I, I hope people continue to put pressure on bad actors is my hope. There you go. A pretty, pretty concrete answer as far as where to go. Uh, I think a good way to, to round up the VC discussion was, would be to make mm -hmm. it Sino-specific for a moment once again. Yeah. I'm, I'm personally quite interested in the intersection between trading and investing. And I think crypto lends itself well for that marriage, mm. surprisingly well. Yeah. You know, the cynical version yeah. is that we're all kind of, we like to think we're good traders, but we're kind of shitty and we get bailed out by the fact that these assets we hold as collateral go up a lot, yeah. right? That, that's, I suppose, the okay. ma maximum cynicism version. But it does, uh, an interesting question that follows from that is, if you apply kind of conventional trading parameters to how you do business, do it, are any of them applicable? So for example, is there a way you can manage an investment or how do you take profit? Or maybe like, is there an invalidation and what does that look like? Uh, is there any kind of resonance when it comes to those trading terms and your longer term style investing? Or is it just completely uh, unrelatable in that regard? Um, I, I think that um, 
I think that there's some relevance. Um, certainly, you can have investments, VC investments that are invalidated. So our goal is to hold our portfolio companies for the long term, by which I mean like really the long term. I see no reason why our Solana, why would we want to, I mean, I see no reason we wouldn't have that five years from now, right? It's just what, un, unless something's about in, invalidated. Now, in, in the case of Solana, I think it's extremely unlikely that that would happen. But, but, but to take, you know, a theoretical portfolio company, you could have the goal of supporting that company for years and years, but after two years, you might say, this is invalidated, it's just not working and we're going to get out. That's something that can happen, right? For whatever reason, underperformance or could be, could be many things. Yeah, nice to see that there are some some similarities, just, just like in many yeah. things, different time horizons often dictate the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do want to bring up Solana. I think you've been very generous with your time, but I can't let you leave without talking about Solana. Um, and I've got a number of questions, but I suppose, and I know um, Sino Global Capital is very generous and all the links will be available in the show notes. That you actually publish a lot of your, almost all of your uh, investment theses on uh, GitHub, Medium, uh, which are very comprehensive evidence-based breakdowns. And I'm sure we're all very grateful yeah. for those. Um, but as a kind of elevator pitch version of why Solana, um, what, what excites you most? about it sure so the fact that it is uh an order or two of magnitude faster and cheaper uh does two so you know if you're talking it's ten thousand times faster and almost the same or uh, uh, uh magnitude cheaper right so that immediately leads to two things the first is that it's ideally suited for fintech applications financial applications because so much about financial transactions is speed uh then the second thing is that so we're currently in the first phase of solana which involves a lot of porting over or replicating ideas that have already been done elsewhere frankly which is just you know that that makes sense it has to happen but it's it's not uh super it's not as interesting as phase two which is there, there is a whole new design space created by the combination of so much faster, so much cheaper. There are breathtaking ideas that nobody has even thought of yet that will be possible on Solana that uh, are not possible probably anywhere else. So what I'm really excited is for the inevitable emergence of ideas that take advantage of this new design space nailed the elevator pitch aspect of that and, a, and again for our audience do do read the full investment thesis because it goes into that to some detail um matthew you are aware of the bell curve meme right how one ex- the both extremes yeah, yeah. can kind of make it and then the middle don't so i have a bell yeah, curve yeah. meme kind of investment thesis sure. for solana and i'd like to get your thoughts on it and i think you actually touched on it in passing uh, very briefly and, and i suppose this argument is is the following so if you look at ethereum uh, it had huge upside itself uh, as a dominant layer one. And then you basically yeah. built DeFi around it. And then DeFi had huge upside as sort yeah. of financial applications built on Ethereum, even if they weren't always kind of fit for purpose from a 
transactional mm. cost point of view. Do you subscribe to the argument that some version of that is, can essentially happen with Solana, where there's huge upside to the layer one, uh, and you know this is more from an investment point of view, and then those native and, as you mentioned, original applications are built around it, uh, and the, the sort of sub-ecosystem uh, blows up as well. Do you think that argument is kind of transferable to Solana, like we saw in ETH? Uh, I, I would say... At a high level, yes, I think value will accrue to multiple places. You know, it will definitely accrue to Solana itself. Uh, it, I, it, it would be, it's hard to imagine it not accruing to other places in the stack as well. Excellent. Yeah, that uh, that just makes sense. I think intuitively in terms yeah. of how the chronology that, that of these things would progress. Be my you you would have to uh, that would be my first principal assessment, and you would have to give me a lot of evidence to persuade me that that wasn't or wouldn't be the case. Mm -hmm. Basically, yeah. I think that's very, very reasonable. You did mention yeah. economic activity accruing uh, to, to many places. Are you a chain maximalist, or do you think different use cases no, will emerge not for at all. I, different, different chains? use cases will emerge. I'm... Yeah, I was expecting that generally from, from your previous positions. And so what does Solana winning look like in a non-chain maximalist world? Is it just that it captures a specific number of use cases? And we do, for example... Uh, are derivatives trading on chain and just the, the things that it's better suited to move over to Solana? So if you're a multi-chain uh, guy, if what's your best case, I suppose, uh, version of Solana winning? What does that world look like where your thesis is uh, fully validated? I would say the... Uh, I, I would phrase it... So we're not at all maximalists, basically, in any way. I love Bitcoin. We have a huge stack of Ethereum. I'm very bullish on Ethereum. And I fucking love Solana, just to give a few examples. We're not maximalists. So I, I would say that the, I would phrase it like this. I would say the most likely applications to be best suited for are um, the extreme performance finance related applications are for sure in Solana's wheelhouse, and then, um, and then, and then, um, I, I would say after the 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 closer something gets to that description, the more likely that it is to be uh, something where Solana ultimately will win. I would I would phrase it like yes, that. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm I'm personally looking forward to the development of that as well. And it's going to be an interesting technological battle as well, right? To see layer one as a, and then yeah, scaling yeah. and layer two and who comes out on top for what use cases. Absolutely. Yeah, that's going to rule just to just to be a observer and, you know, investor in that. And I, oh, I share I your conclusions as well. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. It's, it's going to be fun to watch. It is. I think people lose sight of the bigger picture. So if you're like a Solana bull, for example, like it doesn't need to flip in absolutely everything yeah. and become the number one used for every use case in order to be successful. Even if you capture, as you mentioned, right. that high throughput economic activity, yeah. which it's built to capture in terms of as a trader, as an investment, you're probably, you know, very, very comfortable yeah. at that point. So yeah, multi-chain yeah. future, I'm, I'm personally bullish as well. Um, yeah. that does, I, I think it, it's very strange to think otherwise, frankly. It's very hard for me to understand why people would think that 
I mean, cults are pretty powerful, yeah. right? In echo chambers and all of those, all of those things. Um, yeah, open-mindedness. If you're early to tech, I think being narrow-minded in anything is is slightly dangerous. I do have a kind of cynical angle, if you will, uh, and I've seen this argument made to you mm -hmm. on one or two occasions. Uh, and it takes the following form. Okay. How much of your investment thesis in crypto is built on a foundation of SBF, right? Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, like, for example, a, a cursory glance at many yeah. of the portfolio companies, most most traders would see that as a kind of Sam coins index type of thing going on. You did mention earlier we're in like a tech revolution. So is this like an early bet on Bezos? Uh, or do you just generally agree with the um, yeah, Sam-centric version right? of your... Uh, portfolio. No, I mean, I, I think this is a good question. It's a good question. Uh, I think in in some ways it is an early bet on a Bezos. That's that's absolutely right. I, I think that's that's accurate because I I think Sam's that caliber. So um, the the egocentric thing to do would be to to say uh, I'm making too many SBF bets. I need to um, make sure I'm not getting labeled as that or fucking whatever. But I. You know, if you're if you really think that someone is a Bezos, you should make big bets on them. You know, I agree. And then the number, and then the related thing, and, and which I do, I really think he's that good. So uh, seriously, being being one hundred percent serious. So and then and then the number two thing is that VC is a very relationship centric thing. So very naturally, we have better exposure to uh, SBF and Solana-centric uh, best-of-breed projects because of our relationship circles. So then it becomes kind of self-reinforcing uh, in that way. So it's, it's kind of a combination of those two things, I think. I think that's a very, very complete answer to that, to that criticism or just, you know, perspective. Matthew, you've been very generous with your time. One final note, which we normally round mm -hmm. up on for the benefit of our audience, uh, is that a lot of newcomers or late entrants, I'm sure, have had their confidence shaken by the market. And in yeah. some cases, maybe their only experience of crypto was buying something like on a Robinhood or a Binance or elsewhere, mm. losing money, and that, that's kind of that's kind yeah. of all they see. If someone wants to get into crypto and actually use stuff and have a have a positive experience, you know. PNL aside, where do you normally point them towards? Sure. So, I, I mean, I, I think the first thing is you have to, I'm a big believer that you, you got to spend a, a period of time just making sure you know what the fuck you're talking about. So the first thing I would do, which I've advised people to do, uh, and we'll continue to do so. So a couple things. So first of all, Andreas Antonopoulos has two amazing books. Uh, mastering Bitcoin and mastering Ethereum. And you don't even have to pay for them because he put them on GitHub. You can just go to GitHub and read his amazing books. Number two is uh, the University of Nicosia has a fantastic MOOC, which is also free. Um, and I forget the exact name, you know, something, something digital currency, but it's their free, it's their free MOOC. And it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, and these are all things that I did myself, by the way, as a, as a process when I was, you know, first getting involved, but as a process of, of getting up to speed. So introduction to 
digital currencies, introduction to digital currencies at the University of Nicosia is fantastic. So that's the next thing I would do. And then following that, I would read the How to DeFi books uh, by Coin Gecko and the Lao Twins, I guess it is. Um, and there are two now. There's a new one. Uh, so you do all those things and you will have a, a pretty good understanding of the space at a high level. And then the next thing that you should do is you should start playing with product to find things that, uh, you know, and hanging out in discords and, and playing with product. And the more you play with product, the more you will get a sense of things that uh, do and, and don't work. And, uh, and, and then you can slowly get increasingly confident about uh, where you would want to actually invest real money. That's what I would do. Awesome. I think that's the most comprehensive answer we, we received for that question and we'll be sure to make all the links available to the resources yeah. you mentioned uh, and i'm sure when people listen to this in a couple of years they'll also download mastering solana by andreas at that point i think <laughs> a reasonable yeah. goal uh, to have in yeah, mind yeah. awesome uh matthew you've been very generous with your time and it's been a it's been a pleasure to to speak with you thank um, you so much if you have any final notes or shout outs or tips anything like that to to, to leave our audience with uh, that's, that's what I got awesome. tonight. Yeah, I that... can hear my dog prancing around. I got to take the dog out. <laughs> Great. I'll, I'll let you, I'll <laughs> leave I it really to it. I really enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And that's all from us. We'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> okay. Take care. Thanks.